Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. The PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $17 billion promotional products business. I'm Bobby Lehew. I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Mark Graham, president of Right Sleeve and CEO of Common Skew. And today, the uh, Americans are outnumbered by... The Canadians on this podcast. We are Woo-hoo! proud to have <laughs> proud to have Denise Tashereau, co-founder of Fairware Promotional Solutions for Sustainable Brands, and cannot wait to get into this conversation because Denise has a tremendous company uh, and and a very interesting, fascinating niche. Um, you can visit their website at Fairware Promo. Dot com, I believe it is F A I R W A R E dot com. Denise, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. I'm excited. We're glad you could could join us. Now, you, um, I love your tagline: promo with pro- product with purpose. Tell us a little bit about your company, why you founded it. Sure thing. We founded uh, Fairware seven years ago, and at the time I was working for a Canadian retailer, an outdoor retailer similar to an REI in the U.S., and I was their director of sustainability. So I oversaw everything from greening the buildings to a $3 million community foundation to their uh, work on ethical sourcing and managing supply chain for their products. And uh, at the time, I just I was noticing that a lot of great companies and great brands, and when I say great, I mean mission-based folks with a real commitment to social and environmental priorities, um, were giving away bad products in terms of um, what they were made out of or maybe where they were made or how they were made. So I was just seeing a disconnect amongst some of my peers in, uh, in the product they were giving away and, and saw a market opportunity. So we kind of jumped at it and set up uh, out of my business partner's garage in 2005. What kind of experience had you had with the promotional product outside of, I mean, what sort of got you intrigued of all things about that particular niche? Um, I think that, uh, you know, first of all, just to, to, to back up, my, my background's in environmental management, and I came to this as a policy geek, and, and neither Sarah, my business partner, or I had any business experience. And in fact, for our first order, we had to Google PO because we had no idea what our uh, screen printer was talking about when she said, send us a PO. <laughs> so I have zero, we have really zero background in business, but um, I think we were, I was personally drawn to this industry because I feel like, you know, at the time I looked at it as an industry ripe for revolution. I had spent, you know, seven or eight years in the retail industry and was right there along the way as Nike and Patagonia and, and Timberland and, and Malcolm and Co-op were starting to build um, deep commitments around these values in the supply chain and the work they were doing and there was a lot of momentum in that industry and and when I dug into the promotional product industry I just saw a bit of a void and uh, it excited me to get in on the ground floor and and try and influence an industry and carve out a really creative and what I think is important niche within uh, within the space. What's really cool about your brand is that this is part of your DNA. I mean, it's, you are very true to your mission, whereas there were many people that hopped onto the sustainability, uh, eco-friendly bandwagon because it, was, it looked financially um, lucrative, particularly right before the dot-com, I mean, right mm-hmm. before the economy uh, mm-hmm. collapsed here recently. And so there were a lot of folks that got into it and just sheerly by the numbers, but this is obviously a core part of who you are. It is, you know, our 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 mission and how it's literally written is uh, 
to change the world through the simple act of buying. And, you know, we, we, uh, we take that really seriously. We run our strategy, our growth strategy, our prospecting. Everything runs through that lens of, is this change-based work? Can we truly drive change through this particular business initiative or this particular client? So it is, uh, it's pretty core to why we get up in the morning here. Denise, did you? I, I'm I'm really interested in how you had built this brand, really focusing on this environmental niche or niche, as Bobby would pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and 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 I'm curious as to whether you ran into or what kind of challenges, if any, you ran into at the beginning when you launched in 2005, like in terms of uh, the market response, in terms of um, price objectives whether you mm. felt that that customers were actually responding to this idea of a company that was promoting good quality products that were sustainable given that you were coming into a market that's dominated principally by stress toys and koozies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well I think um, there's kind of three pieces to that puzzle and probably the biggest challenge for us when we started was on the supply chain side and finding products that met our expectations and our clients' expectations and and even just having the conversation with suppliers because the one thing um, we've learned over the last seven years is uh, a lot of a lot of our suppliers in the supply chain are doing fabulous things in their manufacturing, but they don't talk about it. Uh, they don't measure it. Uh, they're not quite sure of the language to frame it in. And um, you know, a really good example would be talking to a tote bag manufacturer who was doing some domestic uh, manufacturing here, and we were over there chatting with her, and she's like, "Oh yeah, no, I don't do any of this stuff. I don't, you know, I don't have anything in place in terms of like a worker rights program or a code of conduct." And um, so we just started chatting with her and she's like, oh, yeah, no, well, we have a, you know, we pay full, um, uh, we top up medical and dental for all of our sewers, which is kind of unheard of in the cut and sew industry. Uh, we, you know, we give four weeks vacation when they start, like all these incredible kind of initiatives that they just did because it felt like the right thing to do. And and it was interesting and, and we're finding more and more, especially with the smaller suppliers, that we can actually help them frame up the conversation and articulate what they are doing so that right. they can tell their story more effectively. But um you know, but for the most part, uh, we would call people, we'd start talking to them about codes of conduct, we'd talk to them about, you know, whether there was BPA in their water bottles. And, you know, to be blunt, there were a lot of pregnant pauses, there were a lot of uh, awkward moments. And, uh, and we were, you know, I've, I've been hung up on many times uh, in the early days, uh, in terms of folks feeling like I was asking uh, too much, I was asking for too much. Uh, and we right. still have that experience from time to time. But for the most part, the industry has really moved uh, leaps and bounds in this direction. I, I'm 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 also curious about it more from the or, or, or sorry also from the client perspective. Mm-hmm. And I know that you advertise on your site that you deal with brands like Aveda and Van City and Nature's Path and Stonyfield Organic and Patagonia. When you started pitching companies like that in 2005, did was there any pushback from them, or did they welcome you with open arms? with comments like, we've never seen a distributor like you before. Thank, thank goodness that you've now walked into our lives. 
Yeah, we got a lot of, uh, oh, my God, finally. Um, we, I mean, when we went to, to launch this business, of course, I was quite anxious because I had this fabulous job at MEC. People were like, what are you doing going into the swag industry? This is crazy. Um, you know, you're an environmental manager. <laughs> Not a, you're going to become a salesperson and uh, in this industry. So it was a bit crazy, but um, we actually picked 20 brands that I thought uh, would respond well to this. And I called all their marketing directors and sustainability directors, and we did our, our business plan was based on those conversations. So when we picked up the phone for a, you know, a Stonyfield or a Van City, they had been part of, of formulating our business concept. So we had tested, and, and one of the best um, examples I had was chatting with somebody in marketing at Van City, which is Canada's largest credit union and, and world-renowned for their social and environmental practices. Um, she she told a story of having her promotional product distributor in her office the week before, and they were talking about buying an umbrella program. And she said, you know, do you know anything about the factory where this is made? And, and he rolled his eyes at her. And I always remember that, like that moment of, um, wow, like these these kinds of clients aren't getting served by somebody who understands their needs and their passions and their yeah. brands, more importantly. So I think we were, um, with a lot of our bigger clients, we were... Uh, embraced as partners because you know when you have a master's in applied science and environmental management you can talk through anything about these products from a technical perspective um, and also just with my background on supply chain but uh, the price thing was an issue because you know especially early on you know getting an organic t-shirt seven years ago compared to you know what Anvil has been able to do in our in our space was hard so there was definitely that would be the key challenge on the client side would be getting great products and having them you know, having them be price sensitive and just balancing that act. But for the most part, our people see it as, uh, our clients see it as um, really core to their function and they're not willing to risk their brand on, you know, a knickknack that's going to get them in trouble or, uh, you know, have their clients or their staff question their authenticity as a brand. So yeah. uh, I think, you know, it's always a challenge. The pricing thing is a challenge whether you're in a niche or not. Um, but I think for the most part, our brands, our clients have uh, really welcomed us as partners to help them navigate yeah. this terrain because it's hard. It's a lot of different product and a lot of technical aspects of it that are difficult for the average marketing coordinator or administrative person or even marketing director to, to wrap their heads around. Yeah, you've obviously introduced a, a even a m more difficult component, if you will, um, to this process. But by the same token, you attract quite a tribe, people that really are passionate about this. So to elaborate a little further on what you just said, Denise, how do you advise we approach our clients when it comes to sustainable uh, product? I mean, um, what kind of language and, and what kind of approach do we take with clients when you do have that Anvil shirt that's... Uh, uh, more expensive, or, or I'm sorry, less expensive than the mm. environmentally um, friendly shirt. Yeah, and I think you know Anvil's done a good job of bringing an organic T-shirt to the market right. at a good at a good price. But you know, we always start with what's important to you. Because what's interesting is that you might have you know I can put uh, Aveda and Patagonia in the same room. The environment is important to them. Uh, social justice is important to them, but. Different when you when you whittle it down to their brand and their campaigns, very different things are important to them. And you know, it's um, you know, we have clients who will say we really want to manufacture domestically. It's important to us to support communities in the U.S. or in Canada, and we'll we'll roll with that. We'll have clients who come to us and say we're union. We want union-made product. We'll 
we'll work on that. We have clients who come to us and say, our brand for the next year is really going to focus on supporting local organic food. Uh, and that's going to be, we're going to kind of wrap our brand around that. So can you help us, mm-hmm. you know, instead of doing a tote bag, let's do a reusable produce bag. Let's do, you know, seed bombs and slingshots so people can, you know, um, gorilla garden as they're going down the highway. Um, you know, like what, you know, we can, we really try and figure out what's important to our client. And, you know, maybe the best example I could give you is Aveda, uh, something that's really paramount to them is biodiversity, their botanical-based brand. And if we were looking at doing a tote bag program for Aveda, we would likely pitch a natural fiber like an organic or a jute, something that um, has uh, more of an impact uh, in terms of potential around biodiversity and organic cotton as a good example compared to, say, a recycled PET, which isn't a strong uh, an issue for them. Um, whereas if we're working with a waste management brand or maybe a municipality who's trying to ramp up a, a zero waste program, we're going to give them an RPET bag, a recycled you know, polyethylene bag, so they can talk about closing the loop and that the bag itself can tell the story of the campaign. Uh, and we wouldn't pitch a natural fiber to them unless maybe it was recycled cotton. So we really, you know, it's really about understanding uh, what your what your brand's objectives are, what your client's objectives are, and then trying to match up the product to help them leverage, um, you know, kind of leverage the story, educate their, their end user. And, uh, you know, that's the way we look at it. So it's not all that different from what I think everybody in our industry does every day. They try to find out what's important to their client. And then actualize it through product. Um, right, right. It, it's obviously working. I, I want to mention that um, on October first, uh, Denise and Chief Operating Officer Sarah White were named 81st on Profit Magazine's W100 ranking of Canada's top female entrepreneurs. So congratulations, congratulations Thanks. on that. That's fantastic. Yeah, and we had a you know we had a, a good win earlier on in the year through the through this community in that we were in, I think we were named number nine of the top ten fastest growing distributors in 2011 through ASI mm-hmm. magazine and uh, you know the thing I find most gratifying of getting on those lists and winning those awards is that. Uh, we're kind of, you know, we're we're elbowing our way in with really mainstream companies and uh, with really mainstream objectives, which is growth and profit and, and you know, financial ends. And, and I think it's really heartening to me to see a company like ours that is so change-based and is trying to really turn business on its head and, and, and show folks you can do it differently and run a profitable business uh, while you're taking care of people on the planet along the way. Um, I, I just find it really gratifying that we're starting to have uh, fairly conventional and traditional accolades for such a different business model. Yeah, 117% increase in the uh, last three years of revenues and over $2 million in 2011, right? Mm, yep. Mm, it's, show, it's certainly showing that you guys have uh, have tipped, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, exciting. I mean, it's a bit of a roller coaster. If you reflect back to my first comment, which is we had to Google PO on the first day, <laughs> um, you can only imagine what a roller coaster it's been for us in terms of uh, just learning business fundamentals. You know, outside yeah. of this industry, it's just the basics, but mm. it's uh, it's been awesome so far. Denise, you're you're certainly a lot smarter than me. It took me two years to understand what an R code was. <laughs> <laughs> um, Denise, I'm 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 I have a question for you. Um, uh, is, is because your company has focused on such uh, um, 
such a focused selection of products being uh, products that are principally or really driven by uh, environmental standards. And you and I had met uh, a few years back at the PPAI Expo in Vegas. And I remember you and some of your colleagues were walking the show floor. And, you know, I'm curious as to uh, your um, your take on our industry as defined by ASI and PPAI based distributor or, or sorry suppliers that produce products that meet your standards. So I suppose the question is, what percentage of our industry produces products that meet fairware standards? Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to it's hard to put a number like that on it, but um, I think one thing that's important to note is that not everything we sell has an environmental attribute embedded in it, and um, our bottom line as a brand is actually around uh, kind of human rights and worker rights. So we have a code of conduct process, which you know is very similar to what now the PPAI has introduced their own code of conduct, which is just great to see that they've done that. Um, and our our bottom line is around how uh, people are treated treated who are making the products. Um, so, you know, example would be somebody wants a, um, uh, an iPhone charger and, you know, we're not, we, we choose one that's maybe not a solar one. Uh, it's, it's, we're fine with that. We're fine selling that, but we're going to, we're going to source that from a supplier that's maybe QCA certified or that has gone through our code of conduct survey, which is about a four page survey we give to our suppliers and let us know where they're manufacturing, maybe who else they're manufacturing before, maybe whether or not they've been audited um, previously. So so just to kind of clear that that it's not uh, not 100% of our sales are uh, eco-focused, but certainly right. probably 60 or more percent are, maybe 70%, so the majority are. But in terms of our industry, like it's, it's come such a long way and I think the biggest impact in our industry for us, um, you know, that's made my life so much easier, is actually the product safety um, movement and the legislation that's emerged in the U.S. and elsewhere to ensure that products are safe vis-a-vis heavy metals, vis-a-vis different toxicity and chemical issues. And that's probably been the the number one shift for us, like a seed change for us as a brand in working with our suppliers is everyone in the industry has really started to raise their game in terms of product safety. And much of what we're looking for um, parallels what those uh, initiatives are, are addressing. So that's been a huge shift for us. And it's made a lot of folks that uh, manufacture uh, koozies and stress balls, manufacture koozies and stress balls in a better way. So um, I think that increasingly like we're seeing more and more uh, you know uh, thought and research and testing and third-party testing going into into our supply chain so when we walk the floor it's getting easier and easier but um, we you know we we tend to pick uh, you know, we tend to pick our suppliers obviously very carefully, and we'll we'll pick a supplier. And I, you know, um, we have a drinkware supplier that we do a ton of work with, and we just constantly are chatting with them about how they're evolving in their factories and what the you know the inks that they're using, etc. And it's been great partnerships, and we kind of grow together. And we'll bring an idea to them, and and uh, or they'll send a test to us, and it's uh, it's really worked out. And often I'm selling the same water bottle as my three competitors down the street to trying to pitch the same client. And the way we win business is we know more about the water bottle. It's that yeah. simple. We know more about the supply chain and we're able to bring kind of assurances and a story. It really all comes yeah. down to the story. Yeah. Denise, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute. Mm-hmm. And let's pretend this question isn't coming from somebody who has an agenda, somebody who's, who's irked by 
uh, the environmental movement. Let's pretend for a moment that this is coming from a very well-meaning distributor who is trying to do all they can to work their tail off, to grow their business. And the question is very innocently, why should I care about environmental and social responsibility? How is it going to make me money? And I don't mean that, as I mentioned, coming from a negative caustic tone, more as a give me some good reasons why I should start paying attention to this more. Well, you know, um, a long time ago, I, uh, you know, I was talking about Nike coming to the coming to the table in the late eighties, early nineties around human rights, and someone said something once that I always remembered, and you know, it's hard. It's hard to know what brings people to this conversation, uh, but someone once said it's either muds, mud morals or management. And uh, I think the you know when you think of the mud, it's the mud slinging. And I think there is true brand risk for your clients in this. So regardless of whether um, yeah. you believe in it or you're passionate about it, you don't want your client on 60 Minutes because their logo's on a T-shirt that's made in a sweatshop. Right. So there's I think there's a risk element to this that's completely. Um, disjointed from the from the sustainability or the you know the value side the morals piece is obviously i mean that's where we come from i you know i live and breathe this i've dedicated my entire career and my volunteer work to this issue and i you know i get up in the morning to drive change so there's you know there's that moral piece and for us it helps us connect with our prospects and our clients whom we seek out based on values and values alone and the final piece is management and and some of what i've seen in our industry and in other industries is when you start to address these issues, whether it's, um, you know, I'm worried about energy conservation, I'm worried about wastewater treatment, I'm worried about toxins and chemicals, you just start to have deeper conversations with your supply chain, you start to have more efficient conversations. And, you know, at MEC, we transitioned our waste and recycling program while I was there to the tune of, say, you know, our savings were about $70,000 a year just by taking a harder look at our waste stream and doing it right. So there's a real, there's, there's a strong management imperative and, you know, you don't look at the fortune 100 or the fortune 500 companies um, and, and, and think, gosh, they're not, they're not worried about this. They all have deep CSR corporate social responsibility programs. And I can guarantee you that it's either been driven by risk or by management cost savings, and it might get wrapped up in a moral tale, but uh, there are some really deep business reasons to contemplate these things. Denise, how uh, switching gears around price, because this is something that we have explored in several podcasts uh, since we started, and you know, there's, a, there's always this big conversation around price and commoditization of our industry and the fact that so many of us look the same. When it comes to your pitches with your clients, uh, how often does price come up? Um, you know, it, it, I mean, often. I mean, everybody in this industry, price is always there. And it's such an it's such a critical dilemma, but we recently had like a our PR person do some interviews with our key clients, and one of our clients said, "You know, I really like those guys because they stay so firm on price, and it really makes me think they're worth it." Um, and we made a we made a really hard decision, especially in 2009, that uh, we weren't going to, you know, we're going to continue to not compete on price. And while there absolutely there's times where we will take a lower margin to win the win the business, when people call us and say, you know, I need a thousand mugs and I found them online for 
299 our entire sales force is trained to say that's great go for us go for it <laughs> like you're not our, you're not our people so yeah. i mean we've really struggled that and i was thinking about this recently when i was watching another company uh sort of shift in a direction that i thought was uh not the right direction for them and i was saying to one of their uh one of their VPs, you know, when times get tough, you either try to be more like your competition or you try to be more like yourself. And I think about that a lot. And for us, we're, we're not price driven. Um, and, you know, we, we are when we need to be with our core clients, but it's not how we chase business. Um, so it's just something that we've really had to, um, to stick to. And, and I think the, the, you know, when we talk to our clients, we'll say to them, we don't sell water bottles, we sell change. And we're going to help you change how people behave. And we're going to help you change how people perceive your brand. And, uh, and we have like really clear tactics uh, on how to do that. Our staff are trained on like, uh, organizational behavior and change management psychology so that they can talk to a client who wants to, um, you know, my classic is people will call us and say, okay, we're going to try and get people to stop bringing disposable coffee cups to work and we need to have a travel mug program. And it's like, great, you can give everybody a travel mug, but you know that that's not going to change anything, right? Because like right, I right. have a million travel mugs and I still get takeout cups from time to time. It's not that simple. So we have, you know, an example of what I'd say is our competitive advantage is, you know, we have cheat sheets internally for our team on, you know, here are six campaigns we've run that are change-based campaigns that are like rooted in organizational behavior. And, you know, like to change a habit takes 21 days. So when we're talking to folks, it's like you need to run a campaign for a month. And you need to incent it because it's going to take a lot to get people to change. So, you know, that's where we're different. Um, people don't just get a travel mug from us. They get a whole kind of program around change. So, you know, that's where I think we win when our travel mug might be a little more than somebody else. They're like, yeah, but we're getting strategic insight. I love that. The fact that you're story selling, you're building a business around this story selling concept and getting better at uh, telling that story because you don't have to convince, you don't have to argue, you don't have to control. You just have to simply point to what other successful brands have done and that ends up selling itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think what's so interesting and cool about this conversation, uh, Denise, is that um, You've clearly established a distributor brand that has erected these walls around your business and around your business model, and which means that the average distributor can't really compete against you, much like how if you look at a model like Bobby's company with Robin, that they're, they're, they're such experts in the company store program that it's hard to compete for the mm -hmm. average distributor, it's hard to compete against a company like Robin in that particular space. And even if company stores are the latest, greatest, coolest thing, a company like Robin is likely going to win more times than it's going to lose. Much like how we'd started off this conversation around how a few years ago there was tons of greenwashing. There was the, every supplier in the industry was all of a sudden eco. Yet at the end of the day, you could really sniff out who was the real deal versus who weren't uh, versus those of who that were simply faking it and i think that's really interesting and i think there's 
represents a potential future in our industry of these companies that have established these really strong walls around them uh, themselves, which protects them against the threat of e-commerce, protects them against uh, uh, new people that are coming into the industry, and just ultimately makes this industry really special and cool, right? As opposed yeah. to just a bunch of trinket sellers. And, and yeah. to add to that, and it's one thing that Jonathan Isaacson said with Jimline, you know, he I remember him making the comment about their true north. And you and your team have this true north. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, people, well, Mark's been here. So he's got a little bit of a sense of our, our team and our space. And, you know, people like working here. We get, you know, we, we have uh, we have great teams. And, you know, we just brought someone on in the production capacity who left a role and took a, took a pay cut to come work for us. And I think it was a real testament to the culture that we've mm-hmm. born here. And, and, and also just that, that kind of moral imperative that people come here and they feel like they're, they're making a difference. One thing on the industry though, Mark, and that you mentioned is, um, you know, I, I've mentioned that there's just been a, a lot of movement and I find it so promising in, in our industry. And uh, just recently, um, the PPA launched a green product task force and I'm on that along with Julie Wright from Wright Promotions and um, and various other folks. And it's pretty exciting to see. I mean, it's very um, you know, starting kind of baseline work in terms of, you know, for example, will suppliers start telling us which resin they're using in their products? Like, is it a PET? Is it a um, polyprop plane? Because that's so helpful for those of us and uh, who want to understand what products are made from. Um, so it's fairly, you know, baseline work, but I think it's great to see that the PPI has stepped up, created a task yeah. force, and is looking at, like, what can we do? And, and the key thing that we're looking at is uh, the Federal Trade Commission in the U.S. came out with their... Um, guidelines on green marketing or on uh, marketing claims for environmental products and it's really become the new uh, rule book for making marketing claims and and I'm hoping that you know use the language of you can kind of sniff out the good from the bad I'm hoping that you don't have to you know use your sniffer as much but in fact that we'll start to see more transparent communication from the supply chain on these things so that you can just make decisions um, based on information that's there rather than informa- you know rather than a vague eco-friendly claim it's a more substantive claim because that would be a good example of um you know of something that wouldn't pass the test the ftc guidelines and which is really critical for our industry because if you're putting a client's logo on a product that has an environmental claim embedded in it maybe it's stamped in the bottom of the water bottle or something your brand you know your client's brand is at risk for an ftc fine for example Mm. um so you know there's definitely there's a session on that at ppai uh at the education session in january on the ftc guidelines that folks should check out it'll be a good uh, good way to learn more about this stuff great info great. Well, Denise, this has been fantastic. We really enjoy. You're one of those folks that we could easily talk uh, for a while. Love hearing you talk about this this topic because you're clearly an expert, and this is just a, a normal part of your DNA. Um, and it's refreshing to hear um, about your true north and how how just how convicted you guys are about this um, this matter. So it's great to hear that. So did you? We sent you a list of questions. Did you get the questions? Mm, okay, great. I did great, Mark? Did you have any other questions before we get to the questions? I, I think we're ready to get right into the questions. <laughs> okay, the critical we, questions. That, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So we this go from is, this. We this go from has this just 20- been fluff. So let's move into the really substantive. Stuff. <laughs> that's hilarious. And Denise, that's what's funny about you. you are so intelligent. We move from this twenty thousand foot view of things down to these questions. But here's why we all love these questions because we get to know you a little bit better. So when I run into you at Expo, uh, I want to, as a side note, I want to say, you know, I noticed that there are there are brands that are cropping up. 
that are um, similar to yours in other industries. And I'm thinking of the element chain of hotels by Weston that um, yeah. have introduced a whole new whole living aspect when you travel. It's it's mm. fascinating um, and very intriguing. Uh, but back to the question. So, Denise, number one, what's your favorite word? Uh, right now it's change maker. And I recently heard someone say, don't have anyone on your team who isn't a change maker. Mm. Room, desk, and car, which do you clean first? Desk, but not often. <laughs> Any of them. <laughs> favorite animated film? Triplets of Belleville. It's all about ah, bikes. Ah, yeah. Favorite beverage? Uh, good English dry cider. Nice. First Mars visit. You can only take the complete works of one artist and author with you. Who are they? This was the hardest question on the <laughs> list. Um, I would take all of the paintings of Gerhard Richter, and I would take, uh, I think, Eric Larson, author. I just watched the documentary about Gerhard on Netflix the other night, mm, and it right. is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fascinating. What excites you about our industry? Um, I am. I just love being in a creative space, and I never knew that. I used to be such a policy geek, and uh, it's. I love the brand and the creative side of this business. Mm. What deflates you about our industry? Uh, and no surprises. The kind of disposable uh, nature of it, and just the impact on the planet that this seventeen billion dollar industry has. Yeah. What profession other than our own would you like to attempt? I would like to uh, be a cider brewer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what prof- You know what? That would come in handy. You could actually do both. You could brew the cider for all those rush orders that you have to deal with. <laughs> so what profession would you not like to do? I don't think I would fare well in any government role. Yeah. And favorite app so- or software at the moment? Um. I I would say that I can't live without iMargin. iMargin is that an app? It's an app. Okay. Yep. It's a margin calculator that just makes life super simple on the fly. Ah, I'm taking notes. Awesome. Well, Denise, this has been fantastic. We've been, we thank you really for spending time with us, and um, I know I look forward to seeing you. I'm assuming you'll be at Expo. Yeah, we'll be there. Great, Mark. Any final questions? No final questions. Uh, I, what I will say is I had the, uh, the good fortune to hang out with Denise and uh, her staff. Um, when was that, Denise? In August, a few months the summer. ago. summer, yep. And it was a glo- I was in Vancouver for like three days straight, and it was glorious blue sky weather. I don't think that had ever happened in you know, the entire history of the world um, or in the entire history of Vancouver. But anyway, the point is, is that your office is just so cool and, and, and your staff are, are fantastic. And it's very clear that every, like when you walk into Fairware in Vancouver and I encourage people to call Denise if she's up for it, it's like yeah, you're yeah. walking into your Come brand. And I think that that's, yeah, there you go. Come on in with um, <laughs> I just think it's really special when you can walk into a company and within four and a half milliseconds, you can figure it out and you can see that there's consistency between yeah. the brand and the DNA. And mm. um, so uh, good on you. That was really special. We have to have you come to Right Sleeve, by the way, next time you're in Toronto. So. All right. Well, I'll, uh, I'll be in touch about that because I'll be there soon. <laughs> I'm just going to miss your party, but maybe I can do a little uh, walk by. All right, guys, thanks so much. We've talked about this for a while, and uh, I'm so glad I had a chance. I look forward to seeing everybody in Vegas. You bet. See you then. Take care, guys. Cheers.